If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to take time today to be able to look at what God's Word has to say in Ephesians, and so I'm going to spend some time there if you don't mind. First of all, let me say this morning is a privilege to be back with you. I always enjoy coming back and being able to share in a place where I feel right at home. I loved the music this morning. Amen. Loved hearing the songs. Those were some of my favorite songs, and I just loved hearing them. Loved Good, Good Father. That's such a precious song to me. And uh, you sang that so beautifully. I was agreeing with you when you said you could just sit there and just listen to it all day. So gorgeous. Amen. Man, God is good. God is a good, good father. And of course, you know, I stand before you testifying. Some of you may not know me. And um, I'm trying to think if um, all of you have been here and had the opportunity to hear my uh, story. But um, if you were not, course, um, for those who were not here, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and take this off, if that's, if that's okay. Get it off, there we go. And um, if I start wandering, you know I'm getting excited, okay? All right. Um, I want to thank you for your continued prayers. Many of you know that I went through a terrible accident a little over two years ago, and um uh, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I really am back to a pretty great quality of life, enjoying everything that I get to do. And my, one of the things that, that's very important to me is my energy level and being able to get through an entire day and I feel like my body now is not having to spend so much time processing the healing of my, my skin and my grafts and things like that. And, uh, and I actually have more energy. And, uh, and that's wonderful because this summer I got the opportunity to do something. And by the way, thank you for your continued prayers if I didn't say that earlier. This summer I got the opportunity to do something that... I really, really, really enjoyed. Um, I don't know if you know Scott Belmore. Anybody know Scott Belmore? Ah, look at those hands go up. He is a man who has, uh, he used to be in college work down in Louisiana. I mean, if you know Brenda Krim, he actually followed Brenda Krim at the, um, at the, uh, university where she was in Lafayette there, and then he came up here, worked with her for a while, but then he just felt like God was leading him to go back into the college ministry, and I'm so glad he did. Last Tuesday night, he had almost 50 students gathered together to just hear God's Word, to fellowship, to bond together in a community. But Scott and I collaborated last year, and he said, hey, I, I want to bring up some college students this summer. What can we do? And of course, if you know me, and I told you much about my life and the things that I enjoy, what I enjoy most and what I really like to do is to spend my time going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. And I told Scott, I said, Let's 
bring these college students up and find as many ways as we can to go out and to connect with people. So we ended up having 13 college students come up for nine weeks. Come on. And college students have a lot of energy. Amen. And it was incredibly fun. Now, one of the things they did, they helped, I think, seven different churches do vacation Bible school around the Anchorage area and one out in Palmer. But then the other thing that they did is that we spent Monday night going to the malls. Tuesday night, we would go out and they would have Bible studies at different um, uh coffee shops. And so here you were, you see a bunch of students gathered around, those college students plus students from uh, the local Mosaic uh, Bible ministry that Scott's leading. He brought those students in, they gathered. And so here you are at a coffee shop and everybody's got their Bible out. They're talking about God. They're reading the word of God. People are seeing that. You know what? It ought not to be strange. That, that lost people get to see Christians out studying the Word of God. Amen? And here they were doing that. They actually had one man write one time. He said, I watched you guys tonight. Left a note on the van that they showed up in. He said, I watched you guys tonight, and I am lost. Gave his telephone number. Said, would you call me? I want to talk with you about this. I was just praising God. Wednesday nights, we went out to the downtown Delaney Park Strip. And there were people out there. There was um, a whole group that did um, uh, was rugby. Rugby, okay? And uh, has anybody here ever played rugby? I have never played because most of the guys that I saw playing were much bigger than I was, okay? And I wasn't going to get killed out there. And I, yes, you're shaking your, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, it, there was a bunch, and, and, and this is not to characterize or, or, or racially profile, but there were a bunch of Samoans out there. And I was thinking, I'd be trampled, you know? It was unreal. Um, but it was fun because they were some of the sweetest folks, and we'd get out there and give water out and give snacks out, and we just had the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. There was a group of people playing ultimate Frisbee. If you know what that is, they, it's kind of like football but with a Frisbee. You don't tackle. You're just trying to get down to the end goal. And then there was a bunch of people doing yoga in the park. Folks, I did yoga this summer on Wednesday nights in the park. Praise God. And it hurt. And uh, <laughs> my body hadn't stretched that much in a long time. And then on Thursday nights, there were concerts right downtown between 6th and 7th Street next to the pack. And we'd go down there and try and talk with people as much as we can. Friday nights, we were at the malls. We did all sorts of things like that all summer. Listen, it was so great for me because I just told my boss, Randy, and if you know Randy Covington... I told him, I said, I got to go be with these students. I got to take them out. One big old boy said to me the very, very, very first week, he said, I'm shy. And I looked at this good-looking big old boy, and I thought, you're shy? Are you kidding me? He goes, 
I don't, I don't really know how to start conversations. Well, listen, I can talk to a stump, and I can get it to talk back, okay? So come on with me, and uh, he did, and he's like, Mr. Jimmy, I just want to learn from you, and if you know me, I operate very well in that extroverted world, and I love to get out there and talk with people. We had the greatest time this summer. It was so much fun. We talked with so many people, but here's the truth of the matter. Alaskans are hard to reach. I was talking to a pastor last night, new pastor over at First Baptist, and we had dinner with them, and we were talking about this. And he said, you know, I was really amazed at how many churches there are in the Sadat and Kenai area. But, you know, he said, there's still a lot of people not in church. I said, amen. I said, they know there's a church out there, but they're not there for a reason. And they're really not interested. And reaching this crowd is tough, and it's the same way in Anchorage. And we went out and just talked with people, and we got, we didn't get, here's the one thing I want you to know. We didn't get anybody get mad at us. We didn't get anybody really pushed back. If they didn't want to talk, that's fine. But we found an openness, especially in the younger people, to talk about spiritual things. That ought to just bring joy to our hearts. There is not only an openness, but we sensed a hunger in this younger generation. They've watched, and all you had to do is watch this week in politics, and you'll realize the government, the world, they don't have the answers. It's a mess, and they know it. It's a mess, and they just can't figure it all out because they've been lied to about all the things that are supposed to be truth in this world, and they don't get it. Let's look at this. I want, I want you to see Paul's operating in a world not much unlike what we would deal with today, in a world that was messed up. And he's talking to the Ephesians, and he's telling them, he's comforting them, and he's sharing with them chapter 1. And let's look, if you would, uh, chapter 1. It starts out verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, if we can even begin to understand what God has bestowed on you and I, we sing about it, we ought to tell about it. We can tell about it. It makes my heart joyous just to go out and just to tell someone, hey, Jesus loves you. He wants you to know Him. There is a God that created everything. And it's fun. Look at chapter 2, if you would. Going over to verses uh, 8 and 9. You ought to know these two passages. Paul's moving on, and he's talking about, you know, we've got these spiritual blessings in Christ. And then he's talking about how we've been made alive in Christ. And he says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of work so that anyone else can boast. It is the gift of God. Folks, 
when someone says to you, yeah, I think I'll go to heaven because I, I read my Bible, I go to church, I try to do good things, I'm a good person. What are they relying on? Themselves. And if people could rely on themselves to get to heaven, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? He didn't. He couldn't. He wouldn't have to do that if we could get to heaven by ourselves. Look at chapter 3. He starts off here, verse 7, if you would. Look what Paul says about himself. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. God has empowered Paul to be a servant of the gospel. Do you feel that way about yourself? Do you declare about yourself not only, Lord, you've been blessed me, you've been bestowed upon me, endowed me with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. You've saved, my, saved me by grace, by, through faith, not of my own works. And now I am, because I'm empowered by you, I'm a servant to the gospel. That means more than I'm just a church attender. That means more than just I, I, I come and I do the right things. That means my life has now become overwhelmed by this love of God. And I want to go and help other people come to know that God. A servant of the gospel. And then he comes to chapter 4. Let's look if we would. I want you to look over here at verse 1. Chapter 4, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's encouraging the Ephesians to live this life worthy of this calling. So listen, folks, God's not really settled for us just to live a simple life, just knowing about him or maybe knowing him, but to be engaged and to be empowered, to be out there and telling other people that's where the power comes from. God empowers us when we say, I will be your servant. Come on. Do we need power to sit in the pews? No, not at all. We need the power to be out there when we're talking with someone, when we're trying to engage with the lostness of the world around us. Look at verse 17. He says, so in chapter 4, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live in a totally different way. And this is the text I want us to get to. Look at chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. We're just getting to the text, folks. <laughs> Come on. I don't have any place to be. Come on. I don't even have a roast in the oven. Come on. Listen, I mean, you know, I can go down here to, well, I would say Carl's Jr., but that's no longer here, is it? What'd y'all do, get mad at Carl's and kick him out? I mean, come on, I come down here, haven't been here in a while, and y'all mess everything up, amen? But you did put a Starbucks in, all right. 
Yeah, I know, I know. I, I said that just because. I didn't say because I, I thought you guys would get in that enamored by it. Verses 8 through 11. Look at this. For you were once darkness. Not in darkness, but you. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, let me just say to every one of you out there, as the body of Christ, this fellowship, this is not a suggestion. This is a calling. This is how we as a body of Christ are going to make a difference in this world. This is how the world around us is going to stand up and take notice of what's in our lives. And we must live as children of light. Do you consider yourself a child of light? Even though once you were in darkness, you're putting that away, that's passing away, new things have come. Now you are a child of light. You're living as a children of light with fruit that is of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And I want you to think about these phrases, and I want us to think about what this means. Well, first of all, let me tell you a little story. Now, when I was in the hospital... I got the opportunity to talk to a lot of people, and as I shared with you last time when I was here, you know, it was, it was amazing to be in the hospital and have so many people to talk to. <laughs> it was kind of fun, and my wife says, well, you were on drugs, and so you thought you were having fun, but, you know, but it really was. I mean, getting the opportunity to talk with people and to pray with people and ask them about their relationship with God, that was so fun. Just recently, I was going down to Ketchikan, and I was on a plane sitting next to me was a man named Nick. And Nick and I started engaging in conversation. We talked about life in Alaska. He had lived here at one time. He actually went to college up in Fairbanks, but he was from California. And he had lost his father, he said. And I just lost my mom back in May, or April actually it was. And I said, well, how is your mom doing? And she, he said, you know, she's doing very well. And then he said this to me. He says, she is a retired, 28 years retired. Now, hold on. Catch on this. Unitarian, universalist pastor. Now, how many of you know what Unitarian, universalist is all about? Anybody here know what that is? I'm sorry? You all, you all come. That's a good way to put it. Basically, her thing, and as he stated it, was that just everybody come. 
They're not going to put you down for believing anything else, but we're all going to get together and just, and, and, and I thought to myself, that's got to be confusing. So who do you worship? Uh, how, do you, how do you coincide all the different religions? Because he said Buddhist and Hindus and everybody will welcome, you know, just y'all come. I asked, why did she go in that? And get her even her master divinity and all that. And this is what he said to me. She wanted a place where people of any faith could come and feel welcomed. And I thought, how confusing. Wouldn't it be? Who are you actually worshiping on that day if everybody came? Now, I'm sitting there with Nick. And put yourself in that same place. You're sitting there with the man who just told you that his mom was a universalist, uh, Unitarian Universalist pastor. Where would you go with that? What would you say to the individual? Anybody got a suggestion? Because I was looking for one at that moment, okay? And I wish you'd have been there whispering in my ear, saying, what do I do now? (laughs) I got this guy, and uh, he's already gone and walked over that spiritual line. Amen. He's already talked about spiritual things. We're now into a spiritual conversation. But see, I wanted to get past just a spiritual conversation, and I wanted to get into a gospel conversation. You know the difference? See what I'm saying? So what would you say to the man? All religions are the same and welcome, and I didn't want to make his mom look bad. But this is the world we live in. I get excited about these opportunities. And here's the thing that I know and I'm confident in. With God's help, with God's leading, with God's guidance, I can talk to individuals even like this. Now, you say, well, Jimmy, you've got a master of divinity, and you've gone to school, and you train, you do all that. Yeah, I've got a little edge, okay? <laughs> I've got a little help there, okay? And I've studied all this, so I am a little ready. But I want you to understand, God doesn't want you to be ignorant, to be unattainable, to be in this world tossed about to and fro by all the thoughts and all the theories and everything out there. He wants you to be as strong and confident in your faith that you can talk to anybody, anytime, any place. That's what God's calling us to because he's looking at us and he says, I've called you to be children of life, light, and I want you to be able to walk in goodness, righteousness, in truth. Now, let's look. What does he mean by once in darkness? Well, when we were in our sins, when we were in our life without Christ, we have to look at, we were totally dark. We had nothing. We didn't know in our life what was right or wrong at that point. I didn't. Now, I know a lot of you may have come up in a church situation. You came to know Christ at a young age, and you were directed by your parents and things like that. And that is great. 
I had a, a good bit of that in my life, but as soon as I got in my teenage years, I went off on my own. I didn't know what was right and wrong. That's the darkness that we were in. He says that we were futile, futile in our thinking, lost all sensitivity. See, here's the darkness. This is the thing about darkness, and this is why it's so hard to pull those in darkness out of darkness into the light because they cannot sense any direction. Have you ever been in total darkness? I mean, not a moon out there, no semblance of light. You can literally put your hand in front of your face and you cannot see it. Have you ever been in that situation? It is a disorienting, dreadful, and it can be a terrible place to be. Now I want you to think about this. Those without Christ are in that kind of darkness. And we're trying to tell them truth, and they're just bouncing around for whatever seems to make sense at the moment. They are disoriented. They don't know what to believe. Man, you listen to the philosophies that are out there. It's just amazing what people believe today. They're not grounded in truth. They don't see how this world was actually started. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not an evolutionist, okay? Come on. Anybody want to say amen? I'm not an evolutionist. I believe there's a one true God who created this earth. He revealed himself to a nation that he brought up, an insignificant nation that ended up going being enslaved, but he brought them out to a new land, and he took over that land and built a big temple. He resided in that temple, and he let the world know, and the world knew at that time this was the nation that knew the one true living God. Praise God. And then they messed it up. (laughs) They blew it. But God has kept a remnant, and they are still a nation today. Nations have come and gone. But from the beginning of time, we've had this group that's had this covenant with God. And they call themselves God's people even today, still waiting on the Messiah because they didn't believe Jesus Christ, but they're there. When people say to me, there's no empirical evidence for, the, for God, I say, look at the nation of Israel. Don't you look at the, what the Bible is? It's ancient manuscripts that have been preserved for us. And they literally tell the story of the history of the world, not as the world wants to present it because they, you know, they change it up a lot. But let me look at a couple little things here, though. If we look back in our life and we think, am I a child of light? So, are you a child of light? Go to chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. He says, if you are, your fruit will be goodness. So let's look at a couple of passages here. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Man, after this week, I don't know what's true or not. Listen, I'm not trying to put down the Me Too movement, but that whole movement is in jeopardy. 
if they investigate and they find this girl came in there and she lied, what's that going to do? People are going to be in jeopardy about coming forward and saying, I've had this happen in my life. Amen? It's going to be a mess out there. We need to speak in truth. He says, we are to speak without falsehood, speak truth, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work. Do something useful with his hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome word or talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. You know, one of the things that drew me to Christ was see the forgiveness that Christians had for one another. That was not natural in this world. No, especially in this day and age of Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. You don't see forgiveness. You see fervent, vigorous vehemency for people who don't agree with you. But when they see someone who is willing to forgive and to love and to be compassionate and not say bad things about one another, what do they see about that person? They see someone's different. They see someone who has changed in their life. God has called us to live in this kind of goodness relationally with other people, not just in the body of Christ, but also out there. And they will see a difference in our life. My wife told me. My wife, by the way, and I don't know where she went to. Are you back there, honey? She's back there someplace, I, you know. But uh, she, uh, she's the greatest evangelist I know. She was telling me one time she was at work and this lady, something happened and there was something that this lady thought she'd done wrong and, and the lady really got upset. And my wife went to her and said, ma'am, would you forgive me? I made a mistake. Would you forgive me? And if I've hurt your feelings, would you please forgive me? And this lady looked at her like she had seen. It was like, you know, a new a cow looking at or a calf looking at a new gate. Y'all know that expression? <laughs> they don't even know what it is. They have no idea what that is, you know. They're looking at thing. What? Someone's actually saying, would you please forgive me? That kind of behavior is not known in this very calloused world. But when we start betraying and start loving the world around us with this kind of goodness, they stand up and take notice. Look at the next thing, though. He says righteousness. Go to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a, love of life, live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he goes on. Man, he starts pouring in here. And he says, but among you, there must not be any hint of sexual 
immorality. Look at what that's done to our world. Look at the damage that it's done. We barely can have good relationships with one another, male and female, because of the rampant sexual immorality that's out there. Unbelievable what people have to endure in this world because people cannot keep themselves morally straight and they impose it upon other people. You know what I'm talking about, amen? And it's horrible. It's horrible. And there are victims out there. I'm just going to stop right there. God's called us. He says, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper of God's holy people. He's called us to a righteousness, a personal purity, that when people see that and they hear about that, it's, it's remarkable to them. I love to tell people that my sons waited to have their first kiss on their wedding day to be able to be pure in their life. And this world out there disdains that. They're like, what? Why would you do that? But they had a desire to give this personal purity gift to their spouses, and they wanted to wait, and they didn't want to mess it up. Even the pastor told my son one time, he goes, why are you doing that? It's okay if you go ahead and kiss. And my pastor and my son, (laughs) he said to this pastor, he said, well, it's really kind of hard to get all charged up if you're not kissing heavy, hot, and you know, hot and heavy. He goes, if I don't kiss, I'm not going to get drawn into that. So I'll just wait till I get married. Wow. I was like, where'd that come from, son? I didn't tell him to do that. And they just by their own desire, wanted to do that. Praise God. Look at the last one, though. Uh, let me. He says we're to be not only in goodness and righteousness that the world will see this, but he says truth. Verses, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Look at this. Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. You ever heard that expression? I'm going to love you and tell you the truth. This is going to hurt, but I'm going to tell you the truth in love. Have you ever heard that? You ever told that to somebody? And he says, in truth, in love, nor should there... Oh, see, let me go back to that. He says, instead of speaking truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Listen, folks, God wants us to understand the truth, and he wants us to speak the truth, and the motive is love. We speak the truth because we truly love people, and we don't want them to live in falseness. And that's why when we say to someone, this is a sin in your life, it's not because we're just trying to drag them down or anything like that. We're trying to help them to understand 
this is not right for God's holy people. It's not God's design. Speak the truth in love. Let me quickly get back to my conversation with Nick. I could have said to him, well, when he talked about his mom being a Unitarian Universalist, I could have said, well, that's nice. And I could have just stopped right there. I could have said anything, you know, just nothing. But this is where I went with it. And if you're wondering, what did you do with that conversation? I asked Nick. I said, Nick, so growing up in this home, how did that impact your life? What did you believe? And he looked at me and he goes, well, I'm a geologist, went to University of Fairbanks to study science, and, and I just don't believe there is a God at all. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my, here's a lady who is 28 years in this ministry, and her own son has evolved into this atheistic individual. Come on. Now what was I going to do? Well, Nick gave me a hint what I was going to do because... Uh, I have a therapist, and her name is Tanya. Tanya the terrorist. <laughs> Folks, the, the, the love continues. The joy continues in this, in this getting range of motion. And, oh, my goodness, what they do. You ever heard of dry needling, anybody? Oh, my. <laughs> Her eyes light up. No, I'm just kidding. She, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tanya, though, has a Ph.D. in science. And I asked Tanya one day, I said, Tanya, because she says she and J.C., <laughs> she says she and J.C. have this great relationship. Well, I asked her one day, I said, no, so, Tanya, what do you believe about Genesis creation versus evolution. And she looked at me, she says, now as a scientist, I absolutely cannot, and because I am a scientist, I will not believe, and I know that evolution is wrong. You cannot have this world come together as an accident. Macroevolution is wrong. Now, there may be some microevolution, but not macro. Now, I think she's an old earth Christian <laughs> instead of a young earth. But, man, I, okay, I'll take it anywhere around it. And I said to Nick, I said, listen, my therapist, the terrorist, she's a Ph.D., and she says you're wrong. Here's the deal, Nick. There's only two basic philosophies. Either there's a creator or it's evolution. You're just by chance. And you can go either way. And I said, Nick, I'm going with this side over here because I don't believe it's an accident. We're way too complicated, way too complicated for the multiple complexities of our bodies to come together by chance. There's no way. And I said, Nick, 
I'm on a journey in my life, and I have found that this one true creator not only is real, but that he loves me. And he wants me to have a relationship. Listen, it's not about just religion, coming to church because you ought to. It's about an incredible relationship that I have with this one living God. And he made that possible because Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood for me. I just got to preach him right there in first class. Amen. I almost stood up and just got my Bible out and started telling everybody. I mean, I got excited, folks. It was such an easy transition. And Nick looked at me and he goes, I've never had anybody explain it to me that way. And it was just a very simple conversation that God led me into with Nick. Because I was able to tell him the truth. You know, if I knew Nick and if I had an opportunity to live this life before him, hopefully my goodness and my righteousness in my life would testify to the truth. And that's what God wants us to do today, folks. We are the children of light. Do you consider yourself a child of light this morning? Do you consider yourself someone who's empowered by the the blessings of God on your life, that you can be a light to those around you. See, that's how this world is going to come to know Christ. Not by us trying to bat them down and win all the arguments. They're going to see us and our love that we have for one another. They're going to see what's in our life. And hopefully and prayerfully, in their darkness, they'll look at that and they'll go, that's a whole lot better than what I've got. And they will want to come and to be a part of us. But we've got to make it known. We've got to be out there touching people's lives. And there's so many ways we can do that. There's so many paths, so many walks that you and I take individually. And we've got to be faithful to tell others about him and be willing to be children of light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this congregation. I just, I, I'm just so glad. That in my life, I've had that opportunity to, to just to have the joy of being able to tell others about you. To being able to be engaged in the life of lost people around me. To encourage them. And I'm looking out on this congregation right now, Lord. And I know that these folks right here, they've got people who may be even in their immediate family that are still in darkness. There may be people that live next door to them, people that they work beside or they go to school with. But Father, you give us that opportunity to live as children of light in such a way that others might even ask us, why are you so different? Not in a bad way, but in a way that they are compelled by our goodness. They're compelled by the purity and righteousness in our life. They're compelled by the truth that we speak, that they look at us and they go, man, I want that. Well, you can have that. And Lord, they're going to have that. And they need that because they need to come out of darkness into the light of knowing you and having this incredible relationship that we get. So God, help us to be children of light in this world around us. Help us commit today to, to live into this life worthy of the calling that you've called us to. Don't let us just be nominal in our life and just sit there and do nothing. But let us be compelled by our love for you to be able to tell the world around us about your goodness 
that you've given us. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here today that's never come out of darkness and they're confused and they're wondering, what is this really all about? I pray, God, that they today would open their hearts, open their minds, and open, Father, just this willingness to say, I will follow you. That's what we're here for, God, is to see new children come into this relationship with you. Being an infant in Christ, they can grow and develop in this loving congregation. And I pray, God, that you continue to bring folks into this congregation that want to grow and that they themselves will grow so that they are not tossed about to and fro by the, by the fallacies and all the schemes of the cunningness of the evil one out there, Lord. Help us, God to be your children of light. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.